begin thinking through this thought of discover your identity, but it's in Christ. Lots of people are trying to find themselves today. And just like people here in Ohio are trying to find themselves, people around the world, like in Australia, are trying to discover who they are. What is my purpose? Why am I here? And the joy of the Bible and through the gospel is we get to introduce people to discover a true identity. It's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And the joy is we can discover that it's not through our education, it's not through our wealth, it's not through our family heritage, it's not through your income or who you've married or your relationships. It's in Jesus Christ and Him alone that gives us our true identity. And in the, in the scripture, in the book of Colossians, which I'll give a little bit of background in just a few moments, there's a chapter number three, verses, verse one, and then we're going to jump over to verse number 10. And it says this, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And have put on, and here's the key phrase, the new man, or if you're a woman, the new woman, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Jesus Christ, if he has saved you from your sins, the Bible says that you are a new creation. You are a new man or a new woman. You're a brand new person, but you're not a new person in who you used to be. You're a new person in Christ and Him alone. And that right there gives me motivation every single day to get up and do what I do. And it can give you and help you give motivation to do what it is that God has called you to do as unique individuals. And here's where it becomes exciting. Every single one of you has a unique purpose. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, I have no idea what my purpose is. Don't worry. I, I understand that. And it's big and scary. And more often than not, it's bigger and greater than what you can handle on your own. And as soon as you begin to understand that, you realize this purpose has to go back to Jesus Christ. I'll give you a little background of the book of Colossians. I'll just give you a little snapshot. The book of Colossians was written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's later on in his ministry, and he's actually in prison at this time, writing to churches that he's familiar with. In modern-day Turkey, there was, a, there was a city called Colossi, which was about 60 miles from, sorry, about 100 miles from a city called Ephesus, where Paul had spent three years training and developing people and from that they were sent out and one of the, the people that was sent out started a church in the city called Colossae and so Paul had never been there before these were strangers to him and but he had heard of them now, Paul didn't know this church of Colossae but he'd heard of them be honest with you I don't know you but I've heard of you and I've watched your, your online services. I, I've, I've seen things. I've observed you from a distance. And I would like to use this church in Colossae as an example and use you as that, that connector there to see how we can make this applicable in our lives today. And what we see, and we read this a few moments earlier, but I'm just going to reread verses 3 through 6. And as we do that in Colossians chapter number 1, what we're going to see is... They had a new reputation. And if you're filling out the notes this morning, that's your first point, which we'll get to in a few moments' time. We have a reputation. And it says there, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
praying always for you since we heard. Now, honestly, when you hear someone say, I've heard of you, some of you probably go, and you think, I'm nervous. What have they heard about me? What's my reputation? And some of you instantly feel guilty. But this church here, he's saying, I've heard of you. And you imagine reading this for the first time as they roll the scroll out and they're reading this for the first time and they go, he's heard of us? What does he know about us? And it goes on and says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which he had for all the saints. So it's faith and love. And it goes on and says, for the hope. And it goes on and says, you have a reputation of hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Where have ye heard of it before the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. I've heard of you, Trinity Baptist Church. And you can make this applicable in your lives also. Not just as a church family, but how about as individual people? Have, do you have a reputation of faith and love and hope? Let, let's delve into the scripture this morning. First of all, we see the reputation that they had. Verses 4 and 5, it says, Since we heard of your faith. Now, faith in what? Because faith is only as good as the object is placed upon. And we have lots of faith in, in, in our wealth. We have faith in our education, faith in our country. We have faith in our status. And ultimately, it becomes faith with me. I'm trusting in me. And here it says, faith in Christ Jesus. That changes absolutely everything. And when we begin to apply that in our own lives personally, it allows us to lay aside all the distractions of this world and focus upon what we're really called to be. That first thing we see there is the word faith. In verse 4 it says, faith in Christ Jesus. I was overjoyed to see people baptized this morning. And as you would have seen on the video, we baptize in the ocean. And we always have funny stories. I tell people I've never lost anyone. I have a 100% success rate. But we do baptize in the ocean, and, and the, so far it's been pretty good. We used to baptize at the real beach where the waves were, and then one time the waves were too big and people got dunked. They got multiple baptized. And so we said, we're never going to baptize there again. We're going to go to a nice, calm bay area. And now there's crabs in the water, which do pinch us. But... There's a man on the screen named Ted. And when we baptize someone, I have a, a course that they go through which talks about salvation and to ensure that they know Christ as their Savior. Also have a course that talks about baptism because many people come from a traditional church background where they think the word baptism but think maybe christening as a baby or they're sprinkled as a child. And so therefore we have to redefine the terms and teach them out of the Bible. What does the scripture actually teach? And Ted is a man who's on the screen who you can tell he, he's somewhat of a big guy. And he's the one I think about when I say that I've never lost anyone. I, if I can baptize Ted, I can baptize anyone. <laughs> and Ted is a man who called me up on a Tuesday afternoon. And he'd come to the end of himself. He had tried many different things that had ultimately led to, to hurt and pain, not just for himself, but also for his family and those around him. 
and he had a faithful Christian sister who'd been praying for him for over 20 years. And he came to the end of himself, and his sister said, call up this such and such church. I see there's a church in your community. Call them up. We were strangers. And he picks up the phone bravely and talks to me, and he shares a little of his story. And I said, well, we have a Bible study at my home tonight. If not, you can, you're welcome to join us on Sunday. Much to my honest surprise, and I had no idea how big of a guy Ted was. This big guy shows up to my house that evening for a Bible study, and God has worked in his life and saved him from his sins, and he's growing. And to hear this man pray, it's remarkable. And he previously was a very heavy drinker, and, and now his friends make fun of him because he drinks Coke Zero. And, but he's a different man, and he's praying for his wife and his children and his grandchildren. And he's a man that when we ask that question, before I baptize someone, I ask them the question, are you trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation? Because there's so many things we can say, I trust in Jesus Christ and myself. I trust in Jesus Christ and my country or my wealth or my education. But it's Jesus Christ and him alone. And this church, let me turn that around. Trinity Baptist Church, is that your reputation? You trust in Jesus and him alone. That's where your faith lies. Because the opposite of that is faith in me. And to be honest with you, you don't know me very well, but I'll be honest. If you trust in me, I'm going to disappoint you. If you just trust in other people, we're going to fail you. If you trust in yourself, you're going to end up lying to yourself long enough. That goes on from that. Not only did they have a reputation of faith, they also had a reputation of love. That passage continues on. And because the word love, of course, this week, men, don't forget, what week is it? It's the arbitrary day that we have to buy flowers for our wife because we love them. And we willingly do that, right? And love ultimately is empty as a word. And verse 4 says, Since we heard of the love which he had for all of the saints. So now we have a community that naturally probably was very self-centered and, and selfish. Now because their faith in Jesus Christ, they now have love for people that are different than them. People that they would not normally associate with are now people they say they love. And it's not just empty platitude love. They're now naturally showing hospitality. Their church service would have looked diverse with people of different backgrounds all meeting together that would not socially ever meet together. But because of Jesus Christ, they now have love for each other. Later on in that passage in Colossians chapter 3, it says in verse 11, where there is neither... Greek, nor Jew, circumcision, nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free, but all is, but Christ is all and in all. To break that down a little bit, naturally, the Greeks would never associate with the Jews. They wouldn't eat together. They were separate in their societies. The circumcision and uncircumcision, you have the religious people with the religious heritage versus the people that were not religious, would never naturally associate with one another. You see the, the barbarian and Scythian, I had to look this one up. The barbarian people were nomadic people, and the Scythian people were known as savage. Maybe you can relate. Who are you sitting next to today? And here in this church, 
They had a variety of people that would never naturally associate with one another. But now they're showing hospitality and they're showing love with people that are different than them. And it says, but Christ is all and in all. That changes everything. What a wonderful reputation they had. They had a reputation of faith. They had a reputation of love. The opposite of loving others would be just loving me. And it takes no effort and no work of God in your life to love yourself. It's totally natural. But when we see God working in people's lives, that's when you get to love people that are different. Love people that are maybe unlovable. Love the people that are savage. And say, now God has worked in my heart. I can love others. Did you know that continues on? That continues on with hope. It's, beyond, it's looking beyond the immediate. And looking beyond the, the short term. And now we're thinking long term. And here's a real joy. And as a, as a, you know, in Australia, they don't consider me a missionary. I'm a pastor there. And as, as a, the joy of being a pastor is coming alongside people and explaining to them and, and teaching them the truth of the Word of God. So no longer are they trusting in the old way, and now they're trusting in something new. That passage, it says, since we heard, and it goes on and says in verse number 5, the hope which is laid up for you, where? In heaven. This world is a hard world. Some of you have to go to school tomorrow, and you're going to work tomorrow, and you're looking forward to it. And you realize that this life is a hard life. This world is a hard world. And if this is the end, and this is all we have to look forward to, this isn't very much fun. Now, I realize in, in Australia, particularly Western Australia, I'm telling you this to make you jealous. I got up this morning, and the car said 32 degrees. It's never that cold where I live. And we live, in my community, we don't, we're not considered particularly close to the beach, but we're about half a mile from the beach, and we can hear the ocean crashing, and we have a pretty nice place to live. And of course, it's summer in, in Australia right now, and uh, yeah, I'm telling you this to make you jealous. Like in the evening time, after work, you go in and you, you see the, the ocean and the beach, and you take a quick dip, and you go, ah, and it's normal. I know, see? And you can find hope in your society or find hope in, look at us. This is not a joke, but the amount of people that have told me in Australia, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an Australian. As if that was the prerequisite for being a Christian. It's, it's pretty good, but it's not the, 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 the line for being a, a person that's a Christian. And what they're essentially saying is, of course I'm a Christian. My grandmother was a Catholic or an Anglican, or maybe they had been christened as a baby, or they'd gone to a, a religious school, and so therefore they are considered Christian as opposed to whatever other religion it would be. But there's no faith in Jesus Christ. And as a pastor, one of the greatest honors and privileges is sitting in, in, with a person that's coming to the end of their life. There's one particular lady who's very close to my wife and I. Her name is Maz. 
and Maz came to our church the very first Sunday when we started the church. We moved into a community where we didn't know anyone, so everyone was a stranger. Now, when we go to the local supermarket, it takes forever because we meet people down every aisle, so we make sure that we get our frozen items last because <laughs> they're otherwise they're defrost. And that's not a joke, that's the truth. And Maz is a lady that we didn't know, but she showed up to church with her husband the very first Sunday. Come to find out she received one of our little cards in her mailbox, and she and her husband came to church because they had been out of church for a long time, but were brave enough to walk into a, a, a brand new little church. And we had no idea who was going to show up that first day, but we're grateful for Maz and John when they showed up. Maz has a long story. She, she already did know Christ as a Savior, but previous to that, she had tried everything. She tried the New Age movement. She tried drugs. She tried the hippie lifestyle. And she had tried everything to find peace and hope in her life. And she come up empty. The first Sunday she was there, she was there as a guest. The second Sunday, because she was such a friendly lady, she was a greeter at the door. And she had a heart for others. She loved gardening. And she would get into the gardens. And, and she started actually a community garden in our community to bring people together. And her ultimate goal was so that people would come to know Christ as their Savior. But a few years ago, Maz was diagnosed with cancer for the third time. And she went through the process of the chemo and the radiation treatment. And that was incredibly difficult on her body. And as the treatment came to an end and the cancer continued to grow, I sat with her in, the, in the, the palliative care unit, which is like a hospice unit of our local hospital. And I'm there because I'm her pastor. I baptized Maz. We've seen her grow. And I was there to encourage her, to remind her of hope of heaven. But you know what? One of the greatest joys that I have, and I must say that I got a little emotional when I cried, she was encouraging me. She wasn't afraid. Did she enjoy the pain? Not at all. But she was encouraging me and telling me how much of a blessing our family had been, how much she loved me, and her hope that she closed her eyes in death, that she would open them in the very presence of God. That's not something that you can orchestrate, and there's no drug that's good enough to give you that sort of hope. And so what we see is this church had a reputation. It had a reputation of faith in Jesus Christ. The opposite of that is faith in me. They had a, a reputation of, of love for other people. The opposite of that is we simply just love me. And then it goes on and says, you have a reputation of hope. You're different people. You don't get worried about things. You don't grieve as the, uh, the lost grieve because you have hope of heaven that when you close your eyes in death, you're going to be the very presence of God. And this world is simply a short time in the scope of eternity. In the book of 1 John, chapter number 5, verse 13, it's one of my favorite passages to share with people when they start teaching people about assurance of salvation. In the book of 1 John is written by, funny enough, a guy named John. And John isn't a young man when he's writing this. He's actually an elderly man. He was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And now he's writing like a grandfather to his grandchildren. And throughout that book he says, my little children. And as he's writing that, he's encouraging these people like a grandfather saying, this is what I want you to know. And in chapter number 5, verse number 13, it says, These things have I written to you who believe 
on the name of the Son of God. I've underlined it on the screen. That you may know that you have eternal life. Now, naturally, the opposite of that is, and it's a horrible thing. Could you imagine not knowing? Now, I had the pleasure, and maybe you've had the privilege of growing up in church, where we've heard this our whole life. But you know, there's people in your local community that have no idea. There's people in Bunbury, Western Australia, that I've met that have zero Bible knowledge. The name of Jesus is a swear word. Easter and Christmas are long weekend holidays. So they're thankful for Jesus because they get holiday time. Because in Australia, we get Good Friday off and Easter Monday off as a public holiday. So people are happy to celebrate Easter. But they have, with all seriousness, no ideas. It says that you may know that you have eternal life. They look at it and say, well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an Australian. We live in a Christian nation. Our parliament opens with prayer out of tradition. But they're not, they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I like to think of the the Apostle Paul. As he's writing this, he's trying to encourage these people and remind them. He says, I've heard of you. I've heard of your faith and your love and your hope. I like to think of the Apostle Paul thinking of his own story, his own unique testimony. And every single one of you have a unique story. None of us are exactly the same. And Paul's writing this and thinking of his own story of how he has faith. And previous to knowing Jesus Christ as his Savior, the Apostle Paul had incredible faith. It had faith in his own works. If you study the book of Acts, you see the Apostle Paul had a zealous for his work. He was not lazy. He worked hard and he was up and coming as a young Pharisee. He had love, but it wasn't for other people. He had a love for the law of God which led him to be called a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he had a a love for the law, which actually said, I hate people. And the first time we see him, he's murdering Christians. He had a hope, previous to knowing Christ as his Savior, in his heritage. If you explain his heritage, and it doesn't sound very impressive to us today, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, which doesn't sound that impressive. But in that time, he went to the preppiest prep school of the day. And so he had a heritage. He had a a strong Jewish heritage that he was relying upon. So he said, I had faith. I have love. I have hope. But it wasn't in Jesus Christ. And it wasn't for heaven one day. So we see those three things. And it leads the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, to say this. Whom we preach, that's talking about Jesus. He says, we're just going to preach Jesus to you. We're just going to tell you what you need to know from the Bible. Who this God is in Jesus Christ. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete. Where? In Christ Jesus. And the goal of missions and the goal of this church, I have no doubt, is not to make everyone look like your pastor. As handsome as he is. Is that good, Ben? And, but that's not the goal. The goal isn't to make people look like us and act exactly like us. The goal is to point people to love and hope and, and love and faith and love and hope in Jesus Christ. 
And so with that, we see the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul isn't just there to say, I've heard of you. You're doing a good job. Remain exactly the same. Because that passage continues on in Colossians. And not only do we see a reputation, what we see is now an expectation. There's an expectation that now you're going to take what you have and you're not going to ever remain the same. Now you're going to move forward and grow. And that's the expectation. So let me ask you the question. What are you expecting regarding your faith and love and hope? Probably a better way of saying that. What is God expecting in regards to your faith and your love and your hope? Verses 5 and 6. The middle of verse 5 says, Where have ye heard of it before in the word of truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you? I've been observing Finley. I mean, I know nothing about you other than this. I also know there's a bunch of fields around you. So I'm assuming you have some good dirt around here. And where we live in Western Australia, we have sand. And literally, Western Australian people are known as sand gropers. That's the, that's the nickname. You're Buckeye State, we're sand gropers. And sand is everywhere. And with that, we, we don't have really good soil where we live. In fact, we have yellow sand that has zero nutrients in it at all. And my wife and I blame that on our, our poor gardening skills. And so when we plant something, it naturally dies. But unless we, and this is what I did with my lime tree, I dug a big hole and I bought a bunch of really good, expensive soil and I threw it in the thing and I mixed it all up and we water it and water it and water it. And you know what? We have limes. So if you ever need limes, come visit me. I can, I can help you with nothing else other than that. But anytime you plant something, and you know this, you want it to grow and you want it to become more. It's not just that you want to water and, pl and plant something so it can die. <laughs> Although we are good at that. There's also there's so many things that are vying for our attention. The scripture talks about it in James chapter 1. It says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And we don't want to say we're going one way and then go another way and back and forth. We want to know what it is that God wants us to do and move forward with it and look back upon it and say, look how God has grown us and developed us over time. We can never imagine ourselves back there ever again. And so what we see is faith. And with that faith, has God called you to shrink has god called you with that faith to remain the same or has god called you to grow on the screen there's a picture of a family that's been baptized as usain and candace four weeks ago that picture was taken let me tell you a little story about them usain and candace are originally from south africa with an indian heritage and they, they grew up in South Africa, and they met and were married. And traditionally, Usain is, Hindu, was, is, is, what was Hindu. I shouldn't say is. He was Hindu. And his wife grew up traditionally Christian. And when they came together in marriage, she became a Hindu because they, that was the family religion. And after 10 years of marriage, and they had migrated and had three children, Candace, who's quite blunt, you know, in the best way, said to her husband, this isn't working anymore. 
I don't want to be a Hindu. I'm going to become a Christian. And so she came to our church. And she began to attend. And she, she now knows Christ as her Savior. And over time, she's growing and developing. She joined our, our, our Bible study in our home on, on Tuesday nights. And she, her husband started coming. And he knew nothing about the Bible. And he was very awkward at first. And we are very careful to explain things as we were going along. And he's observing how his wife was becoming different, how his children were growing. The interaction in the, and with Christians was not so weird anymore. And then six months ago, their oldest daughter came to know Christ as her Savior and wanted to be baptized. And so... Five weeks ago, I sat in my office with Usain because Usain says, I want to know what my daughter's doing and why she's doing it. So I said, absolutely. So three hours later, after going through salvation and going through everything, Usain now knows Christ as his Savior. And then four weeks ago, he, he, uh, Usain and his wife, Candace, she was also baptized, and their eldest daughter, Arabella, they were all baptized with a group of others four weeks ago. And the thought behind that is fantastic. Now they know Christ is a Savior. Do you think they should remain the same? Do you think they should shrink? Of course not. You, we want them to grow in their faith. But at what point do we say, okay, I'm done growing. I am fine, God. You can remain the same in my faith. I, I do not need any more. And so you can say, I have too much, God. I will relinquish some and go backwards a little ways. That's totally disingenuous. And so what we see the Apostle Paul, when he says in verse 6, he says, bringeth forth fruit. What we're seeing is that the love of God changes our life through salvation. And now we get to grow in that and expand and to share that with other people so the fruit will continue to grow. We also see that with love. You know, the opposite of, of loving others would be loving ourselves. The Apostle Paul would have looked at that previous to knowing Christ. And he says, I love the law. I love following all the rules. And we see there in, in 1 John chapter number 2, verse 15, it says, love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So do you think in regards to your hospitality and your love for others that God wants you to shrink? Of course, these are easy questions. Okay, I'm, I'm not trying to trick you with these. Do you think God wants you to shrink? Of course not. And he certainly doesn't want us to remain the same. This week, of course, is Valentine's week. And I've had the pleasure of, of officiating many weddings. And I'm yet to have a couple stand in front of me on the, the stage or in the park where we have weddings and, uh, and doing their vows. And they say, well, we're going to try it for as long as it lasts. Not one. Every single one of them stands up and, and they make promises to each other to love and honor, to obey, till death do us part. Do you think God wants our love to, to shrink? Of course not. And in a good marriage, if the wedding day is the highlight and the peak of your love for each other, you are doing it wrong. Because we need to grow in our love for our spouses. The same thing, the love for others. And then it continues on in hope. The hope of heaven. On the table in the back, there's, of course, a display table with a kangaroo skin. You're welcome to pat the kangaroo and open the Vegemite and smell the Vegemite if you want to. If you're really brave, get a little spoon and try it. It's good for you. It gives you good breath. 
and it's very healthy. But there's these cards, which are our prayer cards, and I would be honored if you would take some, a, a prayer card and put it on your fridge or wherever you, you have these. But on the back is a verse, and it's Titus chapter 2, verse 13. And when I was in Bible college, that's where we see hope. And you can put that on the screen if you would. When I was in Bible college, I realized the best part was knowing your, your pastor. But the, the first year I was there, it was a little bit hard for me. Now, I know this is going to sound like a weak, whiny story, story for a moment. All my friends were back in Australia, and the seasons are opposite. So when it's wintertime here, it's summertime there. And there was snow on the ground, and we were living in Missouri. And there was snow on the ground, and it was one of my jobs with, job to get up in the morning and shovel the snow. And I remember thinking to myself, why am I here? And have you ever read the Bible? And I realized that I didn't discover this verse. But you ever felt like you've read the Bible and go, I'm the first person to ever read this with full understanding. And I read Titus chapter 2, verse 13 in my devotions, and it jumped out at me as a purpose to live life and a reason for me to continue working through. And it's become personally my favorite verse because it's a reminder to me. And I put it on our prayer card as a reminder to me personally. And I hope it's a help to you, but really I put it there for me to remind me of why we do what we do. It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. And to use that same thing as on the screen, do you think God wants us to shrink in our hope? No. Do you think God wants us to remain the same? God, I have enough hope. I'm good. No, he wants us to grow in that. And naturally, as we grow, we become contagious. So I was doing research and studying for this message. I, I discovered there's a song that you are familiar with. It's an old hymn by a lady named Frances Havergill called Take My Life and Let It Be. You've heard of that before. Well, the reason why it jumped out at me is because on February 4th, so 150 years ago and one week, she wrote that hymn. And the story behind that hymn is that Frances Havergill was with 10 friends. Some of them knew the Lord as a Savior, but they were very far from God in their living. Others did not know Christ as their Savior at all. And she had spent a week with these 10 friends, and it was her desire that they would come to know the Lord as a Savior, and their lives would be changed in faith and love and hope. And at the end of that week, I'm happy to report, 150 years ago and one, and one week, these people's lives were changed. And she sat down and wrote this famous hymn, which I will not sing it to you. But it says this, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Then it goes on and breaks down every aspect of our life and body, which I'll read to you. It says, Take my moments and my days. Let them flow with endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of your love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I behold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. 
Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. And it finishes off with, Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet is treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Trinity Baptist Church, I've heard of you. I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your love. I've heard of your hope. Do you think God wants you to shrink? Do you think God wants you to remain the same? Have you arrived spiritually? Or do you think God wants you to grow? And this is my purpose for being here today is to encourage you and to remind you about something you already know about the faith and love and hope of God. You've heard of that before, I'm sure. And forgive me if this is your first time here. But God has more for you. Isn't it exciting and wonderful to be a part of God's big picture plan, something bigger and greater than just the here and now? So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and your pastor will come and, and lead you in whatever, however he chooses fit in regards to an invitation. But as I pray, I'm going to do what I often do in our church in Australia. What I do is I invite people as I pray to silently pray along with me. And asking God, God, how do you want me to respond to today? You want me to grow in my faith? You want me to grow in my love, my hope? Maybe God's brought a particular individual to your mind. And you think, tomorrow I'm going to talk to them. Maybe God's brought a particular area in your life and saying, today I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to turn aside from that. Maybe there's an, an aspect of your life where you've been holding on to and saying, God, today is the day I'm going to allow you to be God in my life. If you would, why don't you stand with me and, and I'll pray as you silently pray along with me.